Well, good morning, church. So, so happy that you're here this morning. Um, happy my parents are here this morning, sitting right at the front. And uh, yeah, and um, extra special because, as, as many of you will know, uh, my, my mother this year has gone through a battle with cancer, and, uh, which is why she's rocking this hairdo over here. Uh, yeah, short hair, got a bit of a mohawk. It's gray, never seen my mom with gray hair. I guess you've been dying it all along. I didn't know, but uh, it's looking great. And before I went on sabbatical back in April, uh, my mom was in a really dark spot physically and emotionally, and it was really tough. And I just praise God for the work he has done over these months. And I know many of you have been praying because you've asked me how she's been doing. And um, so thank you for all of you who have prayed for her over these months and so happy that she can be here. And if you've prayed for her, please find her afterwards. Uh, she's a woman with the short gray hair here, with a big smile on her face, and let her know that you prayed for her. She'd love to hear from you. My mom was telling me a couple of days ago that uh, my brother lives in Medicine Hat. My brother married a Japanese girl. Her name is Aoi, which I can't help but chuckle every time I say it. But uh, the only person I've ever met that has uh, a name with no consonants, only vowels, A-O-I, Aoi. So Aoi grew up in uh, Tokyo, her family's there. She came to Canada as an exchange student. Uh, she heard the gospel and became a Christian in Canada. Then my brother got married. They got four beautiful kids in Alberta. And uh, in church a few weeks back, I guess their pastor had challenged them to be praying a big prayer together uh, and to invite others to pray that prayer with them. And so God had just laid it on their heart to pray for her family, her family back in Tokyo. None of them know Jesus. Maybe he'd never heard the gospel. It's hard for my brother because he doesn't speak a word of Japanese. They don't speak a word of English, which makes it a really long two weeks when they visited this last summer, especially when he's sitting naked beside his father-in-law in the Japanese bathhouse, just sitting there for an hour. <laughs> no ability to communicate. Uh, good times. Um, <clears throat> but they'd really like to see her family come to know Jesus Christ. And so uh, they called a few weeks ago, uh, many of us as family, to, to pray that prayer with them for the in-laws over there, for her siblings and nieces and nephews, that somehow in some way that they would hear the gospel and believe in Jesus. And of course, we gladly join them in that prayer, but my mom was telling me one of our cousins in getting that request wanted to be honest with my brother, and so he called him and um, not, not in any way wanting to be offensive, but wanted to be forthright with, with my brother and sister-in-law that he didn't feel he could pray that prayer because he didn't think that's something that, you know, we maybe ought to be doing, trying to compel or convince or hope that other people might share the same faith that we share. Maybe we shouldn't be trying to convert people, leave people as they are. Um, Maybe you've, you've heard people say something like that. Maybe you've even wondered about that yourself. Should we really be trying to convince other people, persuade other people that they need to put their faith in Jesus Christ? If you were here last week, you know the answer to that question is a clear, unequivocal yes. Jesus certainly thought so. And so his very final words to those first disciples, as recorded in the Gospel of Matthew, you, you remember, right? He says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching, every, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. 
According to Luke in the book of Acts, Jesus' final words to the disciples were that God was going to send His Spirit on them. And He said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. In other words, my mission for you, followers, is to bring this good news of me to every corner of this globe, to every single person. That's the mission I leave you. And so as we finish our sermon series this morning, over these last eight weeks, we've been looking at the four core values of our church. Um, The first one being wholehearted worship. We looked at that, and then we looked at the value of authentic community, and then the value of passionate service. And lastly, last week and this week, we've been talking about the value of courageous witness. And that witness is a value that is not peripheral to the church or or to those of us who are Christians. It's not optional, but it's central. It's at the very core of who we are and what we are called to do as the church of Jesus and as followers of Jesus Christ, to be courageous witnesses bringing the good news of Jesus to the ends of the earth. Now, that doesn't mean God is calling you to, to go to Japan and to be that one. He may not be calling you to go across the seas, but but He may be calling you, He certainly is, to go across the street or across the aisle at work or at school, across the room. Last week we said, everybody God saves, God sends. Yes, God has called and gifted a few people with this unique gift that makes them really skilled at evangelism. And the Bible calls them evangelists. And Paul says in Ephesians that God has given to the church apostles and evangelists and prophets and pastors and teachers. So some people, they're maybe just exceptionally gifted at that. But all of us have been called to be witnesses. If you're a Christian, you're a witness. Last week, we looked at that word witness. What does that actually mean? And we kind of took a high view and we, we saw that to be a witness means to witness to the world around us with both our works and our words. It's about how we live which lends credibility to our words. We need to live out the gospel, but we also need to speak the words of the gospel. It's not one or the other, it's both. We need to be witnesses in works and in words. And so we talked about that last week, but this morning in our time together, what I want to do is just get a little bit more practical and kind of considering what what could it look like for us with our words and our relationships to share our faith to be witnesses for Jesus to those around us. Uh, And so I've entitled this sermon, uh, Go Tell It in Stony Mountain, which I thought was clever. (laughs) I still haven't found this mountain that is stony. Wondering where that is. Um, What's that? The quarry? So there used to be a mountain, and then they kind of just quarried it, and now it's just this bluff that's 10 feet above the prairie level. And I, I would love to turn back the clock to see how big that mountain would have been back in the day. So uh, this morning we want to look to at Colossians chapter 4. If you have a Bible, turn there. We're going to settle in, in, in that chapter. Uh, and, and in these verses, verses 2 to 6, I want us to see four principles for sharing our faith, four principles for witnessing. And if you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one at our resource center. After the service, please go. Um, We've got free copies there we'd love to put in your hands. If you want something that's a bit more extensive, got good resources, you want to upgrade your Bible uh, at our resource center, we also have uh, a variety of Bibles for sale. 
um, that you might be interested in at great prices and a bunch of other resources there. So please wander over there and take a look if you're interested in that. Colossians chapter 4, these are the words of Paul to the church in the city in present-day Turkey, I believe, called Colossae, but not just words to them, words that God intended for us as well. So let us read them. Colossians 4, starting at verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. All right. In those short verses, um, I found, at least I think, four principles that will be helpful for us as we think about what does it look like to share our faith. And the first principle of the, is this. It's the principle of priority. And some of you, you grab the... I don't often have like these sermon note sheets, uh, but if, if you didn't grab one on the way out... you or in, you can grab one on, on the way out if you'd like. The principle of priority. So just to, to kind of understand where Paul is writing this from, he alluded to the fact that he's writing in chains, right? So Paul is writing this letter from prison. So, so he is confined in some way. Maybe he actually had physical chains on his shackles, on his wrists, or on his ankles. But he's confined. He's in jail. And so if you're in jail and you're going to write a letter and ask people to pray for you, and, 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 and you began that request by saying, would you please pray for open doors? How would you finish that sentence? Open doors of this jail so I can get out of here and be free. You would think that might be what he would ask, but that's not what he says here. He, pray, he asks them to pray for open doors, but not open doors so that he can get out of jail. What does he say? He says, pray for us that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I'm in chains. He's saying, would you pray that God would open doors for me in this setting to be able to share the good news of Jesus with those that are around me? This is his very first request. This is what's on top of his mind. This is his priority. His priority is not just physical freedom from prison, although at times he will ask for that too, but what's on top of his mind is opportunities to share the good news of Jesus with those who are around him who need it. The gospel of freedom was more important to Paul than his own freedom, his own physical freedom, his own comfort. And so here... In this request of Paul, we see the priority of witness. This needs to be a priority for everybody who calls Jesus Lord because there is no person you know and there is no person you will ever know or ever meet who needs anything more than to know Jesus Christ, the one who is the true hope of the world, the only one in whom we can find forgiveness of sins, the only one in whom we can find eternal life. There is no other. You will never meet someone else who doesn't need that more than they need anything else. And Paul knew that. And so he was devoted to witness. This was his top priority because he knew this is where change started. It, changed, it started when somebody received the good news of Jesus into their heart. 
So what sort of open doors are you looking for? I mean, we, we got we to kind of think of our own lives and go, what, what are my priorities? Is witnessing of the good news of Jesus to those around me a top priority? When I think about what I'm asking other people to pray for for me, am I asking that sort of request? Would you just pray that God would give me opportunities? Open doors with those around me that I could share? Would you pray that God would give me the words to speak, which he also asks for? When we look at our prayers, I think we can get a pretty good sense of what our priorities are. Is it, is it, is it our knees? Is it our back? Is it cancer? You know, I, I think of our brother Paul, who we remembered in his service here, right? He, he wanted to be healed of cancer, and we prayed for that. But, but we would often hear Paul say, right, that, that in spite of his cancer, what, what he wanted more than anything else is through his cancer that God would open doors with doctors and nurses and other patients to be able to testify to Jesus. And God gave him many opportunities for that, and he was looking for them, and he took advantage of them. To him, that was more important even than his own health. So what are our priorities? Are we looking for comfort? Are we looking for our health? above anything else? Are we elevating the, the physical over the spiritual, the temporary over the eternal in our priorities? It, can it be said of us that sharing our faith to those around us, being a witness, is a top priority? Do our prayers reflect that? Do our lives reflect that? Do we view our encounters and our relationships with people through our days as divine appointments or just random happenings? I remember, I think, Mom, you might have shared it with me years ago, but it always stuck with me. It might have been someone in your church, a woman who began each day in her prayers by um, asking God to give her one opportunity that day to share the love of Jesus with somebody. So she began every day by asking God for an open door, and, and, and I'm sure what that did is that caused her to go through her day differently. She, because, because she was thinking about that and asking for that, you know, she was looking for those opportunities. And then when she found them, you know, probably had more of the, the courage and the boldness to be able to step in and to kind of sensitively, wisely share the love of God with those around her. So we see this first principle, the, the priority of witness. The second principle we find here for witnessing is the principle of prayer. It's kind of interesting, isn't it, that Paul asks them to pray that he would get open doors to share and pray that he would be able to proclaim the gospel clearly. Why did he ask people to pray, do you think? To draw attention to, draw attention to that? Well, certainly it was, he was kind of shaping the values of, of his audience too, kind of showing them what was important, what was a priority. I, I, I think that he's probably asking people to pray because he thinks it makes a difference. Like, why pray for that if prayer doesn't matter? What does prayer have to do with me sharing Jesus with other people? Why would Paul ask people in a different place who don't even know, you know, the people he's interacting with, all, all the circumstances, why would he ask them to ask God to open up doors for him? It's because I guess he really believed that that made a difference that those prayers that went before God were effectual, that God took all of those in a way that we don't understand always how prayer works, what God does with that, but that it actually makes a difference. And so 
prayer is, is, seems to be a critical principle of witnessing. It's not just the words that we share with others, it's what we ask of God. You know, my men's discipleship group that meets on Tuesday nights, we've been going through the Gospel of Matthew chapter by chapter. This last week, we were looking at Matthew chapter 9. Jesus is with his disciples, and he says, guys, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So Jesus is looking over the crowd, and he sees all sorts of needy people, struggling people. And he sees all the potential, all the people that are hungry for God, for hope. He says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. I don't know if you've ever thought of that request, how strange that is. Jesus is saying to them, you need to go as workers, you need to go to the Lord of the harvest and ask him to send people into his harvest fields. Why would you need to ask God to do that? He's the Lord of the harvest. He's, he, he owns the farm. Like he, he, he knows what needs to be done. Why does he need to be told to do it? Why does, hey, would you send me? Hey, would you send other people, God? It seems like a bit of a strange request. Doesn't God already know that? Doesn't God already have a desire to send all those people? Right? Doesn't God care more than we care? So why that? I think what Jesus is showing us is that God ordains prayer to accomplish His will. God actually uses the prayers that we pray to bring about His purposes. Our prayers actually make a difference. God takes them and He uses them in ways that we can never connect the dots, we can never fully understand how He uses our prayerfulness, but Paul is convinced that prayers here make a difference. And prayer is an expression that God can do what I cannot do. We cannot change people's lives. We cannot make people Christians. We, cannot, we can't change their hearts. We can't convince people of the truth of the gospel. Only God can, by His Spirit, can do that work. All we can do is witness. It's God that wins people. We can share, but only God can save. And so when we pray in, 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 um, um, in our desire to be witnesses, Prayer is an acknowledgement that there are things that only God can do. And we are called to ask God to do them because it makes a difference. If salvation really is a work of God, then prayer becomes very important. Praying for the lost. You know, there, there's people in this church, I'm thinking of a guy in particular, you know, people in this church are praying for him for years, maybe decades. Seemingly without any effect. And then one day something happened. And God broke into his life and changed him. And now he's following Jesus. And many people prayed over many years for his salvation. And as they and were able, you know, shared, shared words of Christ. And it took a long time and it took a lot of prayers, right? But, but he came and he... Um, he's with us. He's in our body here. Praise God. Praying for the lost, praying for the speaker, for ourselves, that God would give us the words and the courage and the clarity, as Paul says there. Would you pray that, that I would proclaim it clearly as I should? So, so he thought that even the prayers of other people had impacted the ability for him to be able to have the words he needed to have. That's pretty incredible, right? He really believes that prayer makes a difference. Are we living as if prayer is so critically essential to the act of witnessing? Do our prayers reflect that? 
Who are you praying for? Who are you praying for? Where are you praying for open doors? Jesus said to those first disciples in Matthew chapter 10, verse 18, he said, on, account, on my account you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Guys, when you find yourself in a place where, where, where there's an open door and you need to share your asked um, or you have an opportunity, just know that in that moment, you will be given words. God is at work. He's gone before you. He's around you. He's working through you. You're not on your own. God is preparing the path. Don't think you're on your own. You're never witnessing alone. You're never sharing alone. You're doing it with the Spirit of God. And when will He give you those words? An hour before? The day before? At that time, you will be given the words. When you open your mouth, you need to trust that God will be at work by His Spirit, giving you clarity. He will be at work in you, and He will be at work in others. So if you are waiting to feel adequate, you will wait forever. You will wait forever. You will never feel adequate because you cannot be adequate. You are not adequate. God is adequate. Witnessing is an act of trust in God. It's believing that God still desires today to save. Do you believe that? That God today, He's still changing lives. He's still bringing people into his family. He's still birthing faith in people's hearts. He's still convicting people of sin and their need for him. He's still transforming lives today. So witnessing is an act of trust, not in ourselves and our own wisdom and our own preparation, but in God. God is at work. And if that's God's work and if that's not ultimately something we're sufficient for, the right response is prayer. Prayer. So are you praying and who are you praying for? The third principle is the principle, I'm going to call it the principle of preparation. Paul says, pray for me that I might proclaim it clearly as I should. And, and so we've just heard that, you know, God gives the words at the right time. We have to trust that God will, will work through us. But that doesn't mean that we have no responsibility to contribute to our clarity. Doesn't we mean that we have no responsibility to be prepared? Because doesn't Peter say, 1 Peter chapter 3, 15, if you want to throw those words up there. You don't have 1 Peter 3? Did something happen? Oh, okay. Where's 1 Peter? I kind of rely on that screen up there. 1 Peter. Is it before 2 Peter? Yes, there it is. Okay. That way the words up there. Glitch. 1 Peter 3.15, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. So I guess some people are going to ask you because they're coming from a place of animosity or hostility. I can't believe you believe in that. Why would you do that? Why would you believe that? Are you stupid? You ever had that? Or it might be people are just genuinely curious, like why? Like why do you, why do you think that? Or some people might be just be really hungry and seeing you something that they want for themselves. They're like, where did you get that? Why are you like that? 
Either way, he says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Be prepared. So yes, we trust in God, and ultimately He has to be at work, but that doesn't mean we have a role to kind of prepare ourselves. What does it look like to be prepared to give an answer? Well, I, I think we need to be prepared in two ways. First of all, you, you need to study your faith. You need to study your faith. Why do you believe? Why are you, if you're a Christian, if you've decided to put your faith in Jesus Christ, why have you done that? Do you know? Could you give an answer? Why do you trust in Jesus? And maybe some of us, we really need to think about that. Why am I a Christian? Why do I put my hope in Him? And some of those answers might revolve around just looking at the world and kind of the answers it provides to to the world that we live in and why there's something and not nothing and why I'm different than a dog and I have this capacity to like worship and, and know God and have consciousness and... It might be that, and it might be very personal reasons about the power of God that you've seen at work in your life, that you can testify to because you're a witness, right? You're not called to be a scholar. You're not called to be a philosopher. You're a witness. What does a witness do? A witness just shares what they've seen, heard, and experienced. That's all you're called to do. Share what you've seen, heard, and experienced. You have seen and heard and experienced something that has caused you to put your faith in Jesus and in nothing and no one else. What is that? So you need, you, 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 we need to prepare ourselves by actually studying our faith and having answers. Why do I believe? But beyond that, I think we need to study other people. We need to study our audience. And sometimes I think we're really bad at this. We just think what witness is. It just means we got the script, you know, we, 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 got, we got whatever that is, the Roman road, sin, cross, faith, eternal life. And um, that's, we just kind of repeat. It's interesting here. Uh, in, in Colossians 4, uh, what Paul says in verse 5 and 6. I mean, I guess those words won't be up there either. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. You know, I, I, I heard someone say once, that a preacher should preach with a Bible in one hand and a newspaper in the other hand. And, and I don't think what that meant, at least I hope not, is turning on the news and saying, yeah, that thing that happened there, that's a fulfillment of this verse over here, and like trying to draw straight lines between all the world events and everything. Um, I don't think that's what that means. I think what he means is, hey, you need to know the gospel, and you need to know the people who need the gospel. You need, to under, you need to seek to understand their lives, who they are, what are their needs, what are their fears, what are their values, right? Like when we send missionaries across the world, what's the first thing they do? They go, they learn the language, they learn the culture, they learn the practices and the traditions of their place. They seek to understand so they can know how to wisely, wisely bring the good news of Jesus to those people in a way that makes sense so that the good news actually can be seen to be good by those people. How is the good news good for the people around you? That's a question you need to ask for your friends, for your neighbors, for your coworkers. What is it about their life, their needs, their fears, what they're going through that might make the good news of Jesus good to them? And, and that might be different with different people. Which is why I think he says, let your conversations always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. He's not saying, 
just say the same thing to everyone. He's saying, be wise, be sensitive, have conversations full of grace, treat people as individuals, genuinely care for them. It said people don't, know, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Like, like isn't the carnation, isn't Christmas Jesus coming down, not staying in heaven, going, this is where you're wrong and this is what you need. But he came and he took on flesh and he experienced our temptations, right? And he experienced all of human experience so that he might understand us and so that we might know that he understands us. And we're called to do to kind of have that same mindset, right? To be incarnational, go to people where they are, seek to understand them, their fears, their needs, their beliefs, their values, so we can know how the good news of Jesus might be good news to them. You know, may, maybe you know someone who's really carrying a lot of guilt. Maybe they've done stuff in their past and they're just weighted down with guilt and they just think they're going to have to live with that forever. Just, just deep regrets of something in the past. And the good news of Jesus is good news to that person. Full forgiveness and cleansing. Freedom from shame. You, you might know people who, um, they just have a bad habit or an addiction, something that they hate, something destructive in their life and those around them, but they just can't kick it. They found no way to kick it. And they've just re kind of resigned themselves that that's just the way they are as much as they wouldn't want to be. But you know the good news of Jesus, that there's the power of God to, to, to change people to overcome the power of sin in people's life, to actually make them new. You know, people maybe that are full of fear about something, about just in general, about the future, about, about a particular situation. Maybe, maybe, they're, maybe they have cancer and they're afraid of dying. And you know that the good news of Jesus is good news for that person because it overcomes our fear in all circumstances. In fact, there was a woman... In our church, just this last week, I was, I was at the bank, and I'm going to come to that in a moment. I got a text in the bank as I was waiting for the teller from a woman in our church said, Rusty, my coworker just told me he's terrified to die. What can I say to him? I said, isn't that awesome? Bingo. Terrified to die. Well, are you terrified to die? No. Why aren't you terrified to die? It's because of the good news of Jesus, right? Okay, so are, are we those that are just, are, 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 do we care enough that we're actually looking at people's lives and going, hey, what are they going through? What are their needs? What are their fears? What are their struggles? Hmm. Be wise in the way you act towards outside. May your conversation be full of grace. So you might know how to answer every person. Okay, what, what is it about the gospel that's good news for that person in that situation? We need to study our faith, but we also need to study our audience. And that's what Paul did. I'm not going to turn to Acts chapter 17. We don't have time. But when he went to Athens, it talked about how he walked around Athens and he studied. He studied them. He studied their religion. He noticed that they had this shrine to an unknown God. And so when he got up to share in front of the people of Athens there, like he talked about their own place. He talked about their own practices, the questions they had, the things they, they, they knew that they didn't know. He quoted their own philosophers right? He sought to understand them so, so that he could show them how the good news is good news to them. And so we need to do the same. So that principle of preparation is study your faith, but also study those around, study their lives. What other beliefs, what other values, what other fears, what other needs? 
lastly here, fourthly, I'm going to call this the principle of progression. The principle of progression. Paul said, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. So he's talking about being intentional. Make the most of opportunity. Be intentional. And sometimes I think when we, when we hear something like that, what we mean is our job is to weasel Jesus and the gospel into every conversation. We, we, we think of sharing the gospel as a, as a point, as an event, and not as a series of conversations, as a process of time, but very much as kind of this solitary conversation and event. And so we might feel like we need to somehow get from the Jets to Jesus in one conversation. Around the, you see that Jets game last night? Oh, wow, that was a stinker. Yeah, tell me about it. Jets. It gets me thinking about Jesus. Do you, do you know Jesus? Someone's like, what? Slowly back away from the water cooler. I think some of us, we feel this burden like what it means to be a witness is that, man, we, we meet someone, we have a conversation, we, 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 we got to say it all right then and there. That's what that means to be a witness. And if we can't do that, we feel like maybe, maybe we haven't been a good witness. Maybe we've been a failure. And sometimes I think we have this pressure that we need to kind of force a conversation. And sometimes we worry that maybe that feels like we don't genuinely care for them. Uh, we, and I wonder if that makes other people feel like we're more interested in kind of using people as a prop or just checking a box. What does it look like to be intentional, but, but to view our witness not just as an event, as a moment in time, although sometimes God allows that to happen, opens up a door with a stranger, and in one conversation, you can go from jets to Jesus. But I wouldn't say that's the norm. So I just want to share with you in our last few minutes something that I have found helpful as I think about what, what it could look like to be intentional to be wise in the way that I witness, you know, with those around me. And, and there's all sorts of different strategies out there, and maybe you've, you, you have a method, and I wish Paul Emmer were here to maybe preach on this, because I think he would have a lot of good stuff to say, but in fact, um, on these sermon notes, if you grab them on the way out at the bottom, there's, um, there's actually a link to a, a year ago, I think in a church in Portage La Prairie, he has, he has two sessions sharing on uh, how to share your faith, and there's, there's a link to that. If you want to grab that paper, you can go find Paul's messages on that. I'm sure he'd have some good insight. But I came across this a few years ago, and I found it's actually been very helpful for me. I think about it a lot. It, 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 it considers our witness in five levels of conversation, um, and, and with the goal that um, you want to uh, try to kind of keep moving deeper in relationship with people. And so here are these five levels of conversation that is this progression. Uh, the first is casual conversation. Right? So, so this is when you talk with somebody about um, just really impersonal things. Right? This is um, talking about the weather. So this might be kind of that neighbor that you haven't really gotten to know at all, but you're, you know, you're just talking across the fence, or it might be the clerk at co-op, um, or, or that coworker that you don't really know well. It might start with kind of weather, bombers, something you saw on the news, whatever. Casual conversation. You know what I'm talking about. You've got a lot of people in your life, a lot of people where you've had casual conversation, but that's just, that's just been it. The next layer is personal conversation. So that, that's actually talking, having conversation with somebody about their life, some aspect of their life, their work, 
Oh, I see you got a new work truck. How are things going there? How's work going? Okay, talking about their work. Um, talking about their, their kids, right? Talking about their hobbies. Talking about the vacation they went on. Something that's just personal conversation. So this, you, you have a bunch of people in your life you have personal conversation with, probably at this level, but maybe, maybe no deeper than that. You know, um, I, I don't know if I collect coins. Do you know that? Some of you shaking your head like, Rusty, you are a dork. So, I, um, I, I have this little hobby. I, I, I started a little eBay store uh, to, just to sell some of my coins as a little, a little hobby. Um, I called it Cross Canada Coins. It's kind of dorky, but I wanted it to have a double meaning. I wanted it just to sound like a normal little shop name, Cross Canada Coins, but I wanted it to have a double meaning. Like, so the word cross in there, when I'm thinking of the word cross, I'm thinking about the cross of Jesus. And because actually like, my, my prayer has been, God, would you just use this little part of my life to actually lead the gospel conversations and to bring people into the kingdom? And uh, it's interesting. I, I've had a series of conversations, mostly with bank tellers. But I, I, have used, I have used this framework, and I found it very helpful, right? And so every Monday, my routine is I go and I do the grocery shop, and I stop at a couple of banks to pick up a bunch of coins in the city. Got my banks. And you get to know people. Um, Daniel's been there. I, I dragged him in there once. He was with me. He was very embarrassed. Uh, so, I'm, you know, week by week, I'm, I'm seeing some of the same people, just a bank teller. They're primarily women, often people from other ethnicities, which is an interest of mine. I love geography, I love culture, so I find it's like kind of a good, a good segue into conversation. Um, so, yeah, there's this, there's this woman in the city named Sabrina, and she's from Laos, I found out. So it started as just casual conversation, but then it was just kind of talking about her background. She's from the country of Laos in Southeast Asia. So, so right now, that's where I'm at in that conversation. I'm at the personal conversation. Just talking about her, her family and her culture, and that's kind of interesting. So with Sabrina, I'm, I'm at personal conversation. And then that, that next level of conversation is meaningful conversation. So this is, just, this is getting, you know, kind of beyond just those, those niceties, that neighborly chit-chat of work and family and hobbies and vacation, to talk about something that's just about more meaningful in a person's life, talking about kind of, you know, deeply held convictions or beliefs or aspirations, talking about certain struggles, challenges, or hardships that somebody might be going through. So there's, there's another bank teller, her name is uh, Victoria, she's from the Ukraine. She Im uh, immigrated not that long ago, she has quite a heavy accent, and um, so I started talking about the Ukraine, and then just started asking questions about her own experience, and you know, we, we, so now we go in and we just, you know, we, we, we're at that level, we're at meaningful conversation. So talking about her own challenges of being an immigrant and leaving her family behind and navigating a new country and culture, and so with her, I've, that, that's kind of the level where we're at. We're at meaningful conversation. We're talking about some pretty deeply personal things, some challenges, some hardships. The fourth level of conversation is spiritual conversation. So this is now where, where you start to um, discuss themes that you would call spiritual themes. God, faith, prayer, church, heaven, any of those sort of things, right? Those sort of buzzwords. Maybe not, not yet talking about the gospel, right? Like sin and the cross and 
and, and the need to, to repent and put one's faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior to receive eternal life. But talking about spiritual things, and so there's another, um, there's another teller. Her name is Ideal. She's from the Philippines. And so I asked her, um, many Filipinos by background are Catholic, so I asked if she was Catholic. And um, she said, no, no, her family had been a part of this other type of church in the Philippines, and there's actually that type of church in Winnipeg. It's kind of down, downtown by Portage. She went there, and her family goes there, but there were reasons why she didn't really like it. It was a bit of a kind of a turnoff. And so she hasn't, she stopped going there, and she's not really going anywhere anymore. And so, you know, we started kind of talking a little bit about faith, you know, and about church. And so I, I would say with, with Ideal, I'm, I'm probably there at spiritual conversation, right? So I don't know if in your life, if you're kind of looking at these categories, and maybe you're able to kind of think about different people in your circle that you interact with, people that are close to you, people that are maybe not close to you, but you can kind of start to see where you're at in conversation with people. And then that, that last layer of conversation is gospel conversation, right? This is where you're actually talking about the things that a person really needs to know and to believe in order to be saved. Their need of God's forgiveness, the reality of their sin, right? Before a holy God and how that sin separates them from God. The truth that Jesus die, is the Son of God who died on the cross for the forgiveness of their sins and rose from the dead as, as a way to restore us to God and give us eternal life and that we can receive that life, not by our own works, but by faith, right? That's just we receive that by faith in Him. The gospel, right? That's that last layer. And, you know, sometimes we feel like you got to get from one to five in the same conversation and where God opens that door to zip through that, how beautiful that is. But that doesn't normally happen in one conversation. It doesn't normally happen in one month. It might not even happen in a year. It might take years, but the question is, hey, do we love people enough that we're going to be intentional? We're going to try to be wise and sensitive, not just to kind of ram or force something to kind of check a box, the witness, the witness box, but to really look at their life and go, God, I want to be wise. I want my conversation to be full of grace. How can I intentionally but naturally kind of point this person to the good news in a way that will actually look good to them? And so I just give that to you because I personally have actually found that really helpful. So what I do in my relationships, whether it's store clerks or whether it's neighbors or even people that, you know, sometimes even in the church here, I kind of use this grid and I go, where am I with this? Hey, what would it look like for me to try to get from casual to personal? From personal to meaningful? And so you might find this helpful for you to take away and just kind of use this as you think about your own relationships and what it like, might look like for you to wisely, sensitively, but courageously be a witness to others. How can we get deeper with people to point them to Jesus? And again, sometimes that takes a long time. We're called to make the most of every opportunity, but that doesn't mean Every time we have to make a gospel presentation, but it just says we want to see movement. We want to see movement in relationship as God allows. We're not trying to bust through locked doors. We're trying to push on doors and see if they open. So this principle of progression, um, I, think, I think is an important one. I hope, I hope you find that useful. Please take that away and think about that in your own relationships. But the other thing I want to say when I think about progression is, you know, witnessing isn't a solo sport. 
The Bible says some sow, some water, some reap, yet God is working through it all. He's going to use you, but then he's going to use the person beside you. And before you got there, maybe someone else got there before. God has been at work in people's lives in ways you don't even know when you show up. And when you're done and that person moves on, you don't know how God's going to direct someone else to continue the conversation. Right? Maybe that just means taking someone and pointing them to somebody else who, who you think might kind of be able to help them, introducing them to somebody. It might mean maybe just inviting them to church to some sort of service or some sort of ministry that's an opportunity for them to kind of hear more and experience. Witnessing isn't a solo sport. It's a team sport. And it's not mechanical. It's not mathematical. It's Holy Spirit-led and it's Holy Spirit-empowered. We can't do what God can do, but we can do what we can do. We can make it a priority. We can pray We can seek to be prepared. We can try to progress in relationship. God is still saving people. God still wants to save people. And God wants to use you as a light to those around you. Doesn't matter where you are. Doesn't matter how much you know. God wants to use you. And God can use you. Be courageous in your witness. So this, this final question that I'll put to you as, as you go from here, and I just encourage you to, you know, if you're going to go for lunch now, hey, may, maybe talk about this as a family. Or in conversation with a friend, talk about this question. Is that question up there? Did that one disappear too? Oh, there it is. Okay. Who are two people that God has put in your life with whom you can practice these principles? Now, if you have the sermon notes, actually at the bottom, or you can grab on the way out, there, 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 there's a line for you to actually write the names of two people. But maybe as I'm talking about this and talking about those conversations, you might even have certain people in your life that God has put there, that that maybe God is bringing to your mind. But who are two people that God has put in your life with whom you can practice these principles in an intentional way? I think as we do that, we will find that God will be at work. Let's pray. God, we thank you that we know you We know you because others have been faithful. They have been courageous to be witnesses of the good news of Jesus to us. And we just thank you, God, that we, um, we've received the greatest gift of all, the gift of a relationship with you through Jesus. We've received the forgiveness of sins. We've received the promise of your presence, the knowledge that you are at work in our life, the knowledge, you know, we, we, the, the gift that we don't have to lead hopeless lives, empty lives. We've received the gift of confidence that we don't have to be afraid about tomorrow or the next day, what it might bring to us. We don't have to be afraid of death, Lord, because you've given us the gift of eternal life. In you, we have all that we need, Lord. And so you are the greatest thing. The gospel is the greatest gift. And we just thank you, Lord, that at some point, somebody shared it with us. And Lord, we want to be those who are faithful to share it with others. Lord, we believe that you still desire to be at work in Stony Mountain, in Stonewall, in Argyle, in Balmoral, Selkirk, heck, even Gunton, Toulon, Warren, Woodlands, Winnipeg. Am I forgetting anything? Lake Francis, God. I think there's four houses in Lake Francis. 
Meadows, Marquette, Gross Isle, Rosser. I'll stop there. God, there are so many people around us, Lord, that you have brought into our life at some point or another. Um, and there's people, Lord, that we're going to interact with tomorrow and the next day and the next day. And God, would you just show us as we leave here um, how we can be courageous witnesses? Would you give us wisdom? Would you give us clarity? Would you give us boldness? Would you give us conviction, Lord? Some of us just, we, we, we hear this, we know it's, you know, but, but in our hearts maybe we just don't feel the fire. We just don't feel that urgency, that compulsion. Lord, where that's lacking, would you just inflame with us a desire to be your light to a world of darkness, Lord? Just to give us a desire to see those we know share the joy and the life that we have in you. So God, I believe that you have plans um, to change many more people's lives. And I believe, Lord, it's your desire to use us for that. So we just want to say we're yours. We're available. Lord, give us opportunities, open doors. And then when they open, Lord, would you just give us the courage by your spirit just to step in and to step through, Lord, for the good of those around us and for the glory of your name. In your son's name we pray, amen.